Hey everyone, it's Pastor Josh. We had some issues with the audio on our live stream this morning, so instead I'm recording my sermon now after worship. Thanks for listening. A reading from Mark. James and John, who were the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He said to them, What is it you want me to do? And they said to Jesus, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're talking about. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it's been prepared. Now, when the other ten disciples heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave to all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, some weeks it's really hard to come up with something to preach about. You study the passages for that week and pray and you ask for God's guidance and read commentaries and you think and write and stare out the window and fall asleep on the couch in your office. You do your best to listen, to be still, to hear what God is saying, but, but some weeks it is not easy. And then in other weeks, it feels like a sermon just falls into your lap, like, like what's going on around you connects so clearly with the scripture readings. And it's obvious what the Spirit is saying. This week, this was one of those other weeks. It started last Sunday when somebody found my cell phone number on our church website which we keep there in case someone has an emergency or needs to reach me. And by the time our outdoor service ended last week, I had six missed calls from someone who was reaching out to our church for help. First, it was money to buy a new ID, and then a little more money to buy groceries, and then a lot more money to pay a security deposit. And they weren't local, so we'd have to use Venmo or or PayPal, or something called Western Union. We get calls like this at the church pretty regularly, but sometimes it can be a real struggle for our whole staff to know how to respond. We always want to help, but, but that's not always easy to do. Over the next three days, this person called my cell phone 71 times. And, and those are just the calls I know about because at some point 
they began disguising their number and I had to call AT&T for help. Then they called the church 30, maybe 40 times. And, and as the week went on, they became more agitated and more aggressive. So Wednesday rolls around, right? It's Wednesday. And all I want is to sit and read and think about my sermon for this Sunday. And the phone just keeps ringing. We've asked this person to stop calling, but they just keep calling back to back to back over and over again. And finally, it stopped. And then five minutes later, it started again. And so I, I stormed over to the phone in like a very pastoral way, of course, full of anger and frustration, ready to give this person a piece of my mind, ready to tell them and let them know that now they wouldn't be getting any help from us. And it turned out to be someone else on the phone. All that adrenaline just surging through my body, and it was... It was a different person. And it turned out to be another person calling our church for help, a person who calls very regularly, who is demanding and pushy. And we've discovered that the more we help this person, the more they demand until it's clear that we're just being worked over. By the time I got off the phone, I was so frustrated and angry And then I sat down and read this passage from Mark where our Lord says that true greatness comes from serving others and that as his followers, we're meant to be a servant, a slave even, to all people. Yeah, it was not hard to figure out what this sermon should be about. Back in 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached a sermon about this passage from Mark. He talked about what he called the the drum major instinct. This is what he said. He said, we all want to be important, to surpass others, to achieve distinction, to lead the parade. The psychoanalyst Alfred Adler says that this quest for recognition, this Desire for attention, this desire for distinction is the basic impulse, the basic drive of human life, this drum major instinct. We like to do something good, and you know, we like to be praised for it. And if you don't believe that, you just go on living life, and you'll soon discover that you like to be praised. Everybody likes it. And somehow this warm glow we feel when we're praised or when our name is in print is like vitamin A to our ego. Nobody is unhappy when they're praised. The only unhappy people about praise is when that praise is going too much towards somebody else. It's been 53 years since Dr. King said those words, and they're still so true. I mean, just look at the world around us. With everyone vying for wealth and position and attention, people chasing after power and doing everything they can to keep it, folks constantly concerned with their image and how they're perceived by others, wanting to be seen as as the best, the brightest, the greatest, all of it. It's all about ourselves, and it's nothing new. These words Jesus spoke tell us that humanity has been living this way for at least 
a few thousand years. Which is why these words that Jesus spoke are so radical and powerful. They swim against the current of this world. There is nothing more countercultural than teaching people that true greatness lies not in giving in to that drum major instinct, but in humility and service to others. That the greatest among us are not the wealthy and the powerful, but those who willingly devote their lives to serving the needs of others. This is God's definition of greatness. And as he says these words, Jesus is marching towards the cross, towards willingly laying down his life for others. And the Gospel of Mark tells us over and over again that the cross is God's greatness. And that if we want to gaze upon God's glory, then we are to turn our eyes to the cross of Christ. And if we want to follow Jesus, then we need to turn our eyes inward to understand our own motivations. Why do we do the things that we do? Is it for attention or accolades or so that others will think well of us? Is it for show? To show everyone how smart we are. To show that we're pious, righteous, and holy. Is it to gain something for ourselves? Is it love that leads us to serve? Or is it something else? You know, sometimes serving other people is incredibly difficult. And I don't say that just because we're often self-centered or because serving others can demand hard work and sacrifice. What I mean is that Sometimes it's hard to even know how to best serve someone. That's part of what made this week so frustrating. I didn't know the right way to help. This person who kept calling was intellectually disabled, and we discovered that they have a history of dishonesty and fraud that has led to legal issues. If I Venmo them 70 bucks, am I truly helping them? or just enabling more harassment and dishonesty. I don't even care about the $70. Our church can afford that, and, and I'm perfectly fine if we're taken advantage of sometimes because it's worth it to help people. Love always comes with risk. But is that money I send really going to make any difference? In the face of mental health issues and legal problems and disabilities and housing insecurity and poverty, that money doesn't even move the needle. It's like putting a Band-Aid over, over a gaping wound. So how do I truly help this person? How do I change their circumstances in a meaningful way rather than, than just slipping them some money and then moving on? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that I'm not the only one who feels frustrated this way sometimes. I know I'm not the only one who questions the best way to serve others. I know I can't be the only one who sometimes feels like like what we have to offer is so small compared to the needs of the world. This is what we feel when, when we see a person who is likely homeless, asking for money at an intersection. 
what's the best way to help? Our church has created bags to hand to people in those situations full of, of good and needed supplies, and I'm glad that we do. But I can't be the only one who, who drives away sometimes wanting to do more, wanting, wanting to help in ways that will mean that person isn't out there again tomorrow, but not knowing how. It's the way we feel when, when we debate how to create government programs that, that serve people in a way that doesn't just give them things, but that also transforms their lives and meaningfully changes their circumstances, that addresses underlying causes rather than just treating symptoms. It's the way my wife feels when she encounters a patient like she did this week who's whose challenges and struggles go so far beyond the neurological issues she's able to treat, and and she doesn't know how to help free them from the cycle they're stuck in, even though she desperately wants to. Sometimes we may not confidently know how to serve someone. Sometimes the things we are able to do may feel small and inadequate. Sometimes we may even disagree on the best way to serve others. But none of those things should keep us from trying or from hearing our Lord's call to be people who serve or from doing our reverent best and then trusting in God even when what we have to offer feels inadequate or unsure. This morning, Jesus tells us that when it comes to serving others, our motivation matters. When we serve other people in faith and love, even in the smallest, most inadequate ways, we're sowing the seeds of God's love in this world. And that means that every act of loving, humble service that we put out there matters. Because God is able to use those seeds in surprising, unexpected, and and amazing ways. One of my favorite prayers says, we plant seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. It may be incomplete, but it's a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results. But that's the difference between the master builder and the worker. The truth is that serving brings transformation. It transforms those who serve and those who are being served, and it can even transform this world. Through our Lord's act of service on the cross, God's glory shone out into every part of this world, and by Christ's sacrifice, we are redeemed and made into new people, people who don't march according to the beat of the drum major, but rather dance to the tune of joyful and loving service. It took three long days for the seeds of Jesus' service on the cross to bear the fruits of the empty tomb, three long days full of confusion and frustration and loss, but then the stone was rolled away. And it turned out that God had used something as unlikely as a life freely given on a cross to transform the world. 
And so this morning, we pray for wisdom so that we can sow the seeds of God's love by serving others the best we're able. We pray for patience so that we can give those seeds time to grow. And we pray for faith to trust that God can use even our inadequate, small, and uncertain acts of service to transform us, to transform others, to transform this world. Amen.